Right. And as we turn, let's uh, open up in prayer. So, God, we ask, you know, this morning we're talking about communication with you. And sometimes it's so difficult just to communicate with each other. And then if we throw in, you know, being tired, being hungry, not feeling well, difficult people, difficult situations, it just... That's tough when we can talk with each other when all those things happen. When all those things happen and we communicate with you and it requires more silence and a lot of effort on our part sometimes, it's very difficult. And not only do we want to make that time to hear from you, we want to make sure that we're hearing clearly from you. And so we just pray this morning, and we ask you this morning, just for wisdom and better understanding of how to communicate with you. And even not just communicate, but communicate with you in a powerful way. To where we can actually bring your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. We could actually bring your kingdom on earth into our lives and those around us. That's a different type of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this past week, um, at school, you know, I was thinking about this morning. So if at some point, and that's my prayer, to be honest, you know, at some point where I'm not, you know, teaching math during the week and can really just focus, you know, on the teaching, preaching of the Word, like it says in Acts. You know, at some point when that happens, we lose, like, a lot of fodder or material for illustrations because I learned a lot of stuff at school and a lot of illustrations come alive at school through the kids, through the faculty, all this different type of stuff. Um, but this week, yet another one, illustration, at school, um, we start off classes with a prayer. Right? So it's a Catholic school. And um, we start, we're supposed to start off class with a prayer. And the way they do it is they have prayer books. And so the campus uh, minister, uh, in our case, uh, Mrs. Bellucci, she writes them all out for every day. And that's how we start off classes, by reading um, the class prayer. And... Uh, You'd think they'd be pretty hesitant actually to want to read the prayers, but believe it or not, after like the first week, they're all, I want to read it, I want to read it, I want to read it. It's pretty funny. Very, very rarely you get a student, and I asked them the question, said, you know, we don't need the prayer book, like, we could just talk to God. If you're comfortable, right? Classrooms still got to be safe, you know what I mean? Like, I want to get them to know Jesus, but they got to be safe, you know, and got to balance things. So, um, very rarely do they take me up on that. Um, but this past week, it was pretty awesome. One, because somebody took me up on it. And two, because it was so early in the year. And it was really neat because I think his prayer started the day before. He's coming after school for extra help. Uh, he's on the football team. He's a, a sophomore. A great athlete. And... Um, I had uh, I actually met him when he was in 8th grade but uh, we had a chance to talk more in extra help I like extra help um, not necessarily because i got to stay longer and I can't get home yet but that's when you really get a chance to like meet interact with the students get to know them like 
then you can really start to talk with them, you know, and try and be light, you know, and ask them about Jesus and faith and stuff. So anyways, um, I'm talking to this young man, and I find out he's from Africa, so you start talking about Africa a little bit, and, you know, I've been there, you know, once, and had a chance to talk a little bit, and learn about his family a little bit, and get his background, and, man, just what an unbelievable life from this young guy. I mean, he left, he left Liberia, Liberia, Africa is where he's from, that's on the uh, western coast, right next to Sierra Leone, right next to it. And Sierra Leone's where you get a lot of diamonds, where you get a lot of diamonds. And the government basically, you know, well, they don't have much of a government where whoever's in power at that time, you know, they take the money and it's just a... It's one of the poorest nations in the world is Sierra Leone. And they manufacture one of the most priceless minerals in the world. It's unbelievable. So he lives next to there and their country is a mess too. In fact, they had to leave. And when I say they, I mean his mom and um, himself and his brother. His brother's a little bit older. And uh, when they left, he's, you know, he's telling me about how they left. And he's like, Mr. Murphy, you know, I remember you know, leaving in the middle of the night, walking through a river, you know, up to his chin, just trying to get out because there's civil war in the country. And uh, people are dying on the right and on the left of him. And people are getting shot, you know. And it's just, this is this kid's background. You know what I mean? And he's pretty good in class. He's not a troublemaker. Like, he's a, he's a great kid. But it's, you have no idea who's sitting in front of you and who you're talking to. And not even any evidence that he acts out. You know what I mean? Just, wow. You know? Nonetheless, God has placed him in my path. So I'm like, man. So then the Jesus side of me, the Christian side, is like, let's dig. Like, let's see where this kid is at. And let's not probe. I want to probe and put him on the defensive, but, you know, let's dig and, like, let's, you know, figure out. So come to figure out, he, um, his dad is, works for the government in Liberia. His dad is very well known there. And uh, we actually, I was like, can we Google him? He's like, let's Google him. So we Google him, and I was like, that's your dad. And just a, and a, you know, and he does not like, does not love, doesn't even like his dad because of things that have happened. And, but his dad is like this high-ranking guy in Liberia, and he escaped the country, and he's here with his mom, and just all this family stuff. I'm like, man. So, we're talking life, you know. He's supposed to be making up a test. And he's like, what? So whatever, you know, we're doing what we're doing, and we'll get to the test stuff. You know, Jesus is much more important. And uh, so now I'm like, man, you know. So I tell him, I say, you know, I got to keep you in my prayers. I said, like, you know, your family, you know, you guys got to be in my prayer times. And, and I tell that to kids and stuff, you know, that's kind of my way of feeling around a little bit. And sometimes it gets in the conversation and sometimes it doesn't. And he said, okay, Mr. Murphy, I'd be great. I'd really appreciate it. I'd really appreciate it. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. So he's really appreciative. So maybe I can like probe a little bit more or dig a little bit more. And uh, I'm like, so, you know, wh- where do you go to church? You know, you go to church anywhere? And so he's going he's to say, you know, St. Mary, St. Vincent's, you know, Saint whatever. He goes, no, I go to, uh, I go to, hold on, it's a long name church. He goes, I go to, I go to Fifth Tabernacle Heaven Rejoices Center or something like that. You know, some like long name. I'm like, oh, I was like, that's interesting. He said, yeah, and there's, he's like, there, you know, there's a ton of, you know, Liberians there, you know, and 
I was like, really? So we start talking more, you know, and uh, they have a website, so we go check out the website, and so we start talking about God and stuff. I'm like, you know, I said, uh, I said, some of your friends know, some of the students know, because, you know, Mr. Parkinson tells them that, you know, I'm a pastor at a church in Naugatuck. He looks at me and goes, I didn't know that, Mr. Murphy. And so, you know, we start talking some more. And so now we're in this great conversation. And uh, it was really cool. So that happened the day before. So then now we get to the next day, morning prayer. And I ask, you know, at the booklet, anybody want to pray? And, uh, you know, a couple kids raise their hand. And then, you know, this young man, he raised his hand. He's like, Mr. Murphy, I'll do it. I said, oh, okay, you know, pass him the prayer book. He goes, no, no, no. He's like, I'm just praying. I'm just talking to God. And then one of the kids goes, you mean spontaneous prayer? <laughs> it's like a name for it, right? When you talk to God, there's a name for it. So, spontaneous prayer? So, uh, he's like, yeah, spontaneous prayer. So I'm like, okay. So, right away, it's like, this is different. You know, it's like the Catholic thing, like, this is different. So, he didn't like get up and go to the front either. I let, if they want, they can come to the front or they can stand at their desk and do it. You know, it's up to them. And uh, so, he's, uh, he's at his desk. And uh, he didn't even stand up, which is kind of funny. And he goes, uh, bow your heads. And then they're like, caught in the... Throw them off like... But I'm trying not to make them feel weird, you know? So, it's like, because you got to make that safe. So... Um, yeah, and then he starts and he lays down just this awesome prayer, you know, about, he's like, God, thank you this morning. And it actually convicted me, believe it or not, in the first sentence, convicted me. And uh, he goes, thank you this morning for helping us get off to a right start with your name and in your word. And I'm like, he's talking about mass we did this morning. I unplugged for mass in 30 seconds. Like, I really tried to pay attention, but it just, I... Just didn't work out for me real well. And, um, but he comes to prayer time, seriously thanking God, just even that we had that time. Maybe it was not, you know, the best, most uh, freeing way for the Holy Spirit to come in. But nonetheless, the door was open a crack. We got into the Word and talked a little bit. So, that's his first sentence. God, thank you for helping us start off the day, you know, in your word and in prayer. And we just, and then he's like, God, we just ask that you just uh, watch over this class and, you know, the kids that are here and help us to faithfully follow you throughout this term. And, um, you know, for the football game coming up tomorrow, help, you know, keep people safe. Not necessarily that we would win, but help keep people safe. You know, do we got to do? And I was like, we laid it down. And then, Amen. And then the kids are like, and they start clapping for the kids. Yeah, I don't know what to do because they had a sense that he just prayed, but it was very, very different. Something very real and genuine and authentic about it. And that was weird, but I think I like it. And now there's this moment, so now what's Mr. Murphy going to do? And... I didn't want to take it away from that moment, but I wanted to clarify and say, hey, listen, you know, I said, eventually, if the Bible is true, and if you guys believe it, and we stand before God, you know, we're accountable for a lot of things, um, you know, our relationship with Him, you know, kind of matters. I said, if you start asking questions about the relationship with Him, and 
our relationship just consists of things written out by somebody else and we repeat those words. So that's kind of goofy, don't you think? And um, <laughs> they're looking at me like, that's like craziness. Like, how are you even thinking like that, Mr. Murphy? But then you could tell, like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. You know, that's kind of strange. I said, that's just, you know, what, what he did. He's just talking to God and he's like getting that squared out now. It doesn't have to be rehearsed for him, you know, so... It's interesting. So that blessed my socks off this whole week at school because I'm always praying for these kids, you know, coming early, playing over their desks, the school. You know, my prayer is that, man, we could just take over the school and just save everybody. Why not? Why not? I see no reason to... Why, at least I can't ask for that and believe God is capable of it. I don't know what He's going to do, but let's at least put it out there and at least give Him that ability to do that. So that happened last Saturday. Pope Francis, she said some strange things this past week, and I really hope he did not intend to say what he said because it didn't sound good. Um, last Saturday, he asked people to pray and fast, you know, for Syria. Which is good. It's not a bad thing to ask, you know. Pray and ask, you know, fast and pray that some kind of peace and something good would come out of that. 9-11 happened this past week. People are praying, thinking about 9-11, thinking about family, thinking people they don't even know. You know, that suffered tragedy, lost family, lost, lost loved ones. Colorado's happening right now. People are missing, dead, all over the place. We don't even have an exact number. So, you know, this past week, there's all these situations where prayer is at least somewhere in there. At least somehow talked about. It's included in the mix. And that got me certainly thinking a lot about our passage this morning, which is totally focused on prayer. Completely focused in prayer. That's just all our passage is about. I was like, man, you know, what, what a week to just kind of be thinking about this stuff. And when we have our eyes open, it's amazing what God will show us going on around, you know, that we're studying in His Word. So, the question that I was thinking about, one of the questions, I think about a lot of questions. I think about a lot of questions. I bring a lot before God. One question I was thinking about is this prayer. You know, that actually Roger even mentioned, and it's not even like we coordinated it, you know, it just worked out. I can see what the passage was. That's right. And you can't lie, you're in church. So, so, <laughs> so the question that he asked. Right, which is one I was thinking about too. You know, does prayer really change anything? I mean, really change things. Change people. Like, does it really? And, and I remember reading one of the comments on uh, Pope Fran- when, when I'm reading online and reading articles, I like to read them and then I like to go to the bottom too and read the comments that people leave. And one thought I have is like, Why are, who has time for this? But... And then who has time for like when people respond back and they stay on it and they continue to respond? I'm like, they have to work? Like, what are they doing? And um, a lot of the comments that are under the, the feed of um, Pope Francis asking people to pray and fast is a lot of the comments were basically it's ridiculous. We should do something. Prayer gets nothing done. Why continue with these empty words? There's just no point. It hasn't gotten anything done over there in a long time, so why bother now? To that effect, you know, that's kind of what people are thinking. 
at least in what I was reading, and I want to say, you know, I don't, I bet that's fairly common to think that. And I know that we as Christians are supposed to say, yes, prayer does change things. And we're supposed to believe it mentally, you know, but I think sometimes there could be a hang up there. Because the more personal question it gets for me is, and for you and for us, the more personal question is, what has prayer changed in my life? So theoretically, does prayer really change anything? Well, as the Christian, yes, absolutely. God and prayer, and it's important, and yes. And, but then we make it personal. I look back in my life, so I look back at Jared's life, or you look back at your life, and you know your life. What has prayer really changed? Yeah, yeah, that's hopefully it. But then for some, that might be very sobering. Well, I don't know. I guess that maybe assumes that I have been praying. Right? It's a very sobering thought. What has actually changed in my life because of prayer? Assumption being that I even have been. Has it changed other people? More than just me. And many times, people just use prayers like almost therapy. Oh, it felt good just to get that out and be quiet and be alone and put my mind in the right place. Is it more than that? Like, has prayer, if I could look back on Jared's life, has it changed other people around me? Has it actually changed their will and their intent and their actions? Them as a person. Because if that's happening, that's pretty powerful. That's unbelievable. You know, has prayer changed my situation in life? Has it somehow changed jobs, finances, brought forth maybe freedom from addictions or depressions? Or has it changed any of these things? Or do those prayers get sprinkled in there when they happen and it would just help me to feel better to know that I did that? It's a big time difference here of what I'm looking at change, real, legit change. That's even tangible. So the message this morning, not intended to be super long, one verse, and I promise we'll get there, but I just want to get the backdrop to understand where we're headed. So the message this morning is for people that want to pray, pray prayers that change things. So right away, I'm like, want to pray prayers that change things. The message is for pre- anyone who wants to have their prayers that are more than just words to just soothe myself to say that I did it. It's for anyone who wants to see their prayers do things inexplicably before their eyes. Right? That's my prayer. And I don't want to just think my prayers work, but I know that they did. Right? So then there's some questions like around all that. Like, okay, great. Some questions are, what goes into these prayers? What do they look like? What kind of words are used in them? There's some magic phrases we need to get a hold of. How long are they? Seven minutes, eight minutes, 27 minutes, half hour. Stand up, sit down, hands up. What holds them back? So we're going to take a look at the bulk of that this morning. And we're going to try and do it in not forever time. All right, here we go. Matthew 21. We pick up in verse... Yeah, we're going to pick up in verse 18. We'll just read a little bit from last week and 
We'll pick up on our part. It says, early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Jesus, on his way back to Jerusalem, this is the last week of his life. He's been leaving this, he, the, uh, he leaves the city, then comes back, leaves the city, comes back. He's just hovering around there because eventually he's going to be handed over and uh, tried, found guilty. It's all going to happen in Jerusalem. It's bad news for him. It's a dangerous place. It's a danger zone. But he knows God is bringing him there to the danger zone. It's part of God's plan. Sometimes that's the case. Early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it but found nothing on it except for leaves. So he sees this tree that should be bearing fruit and all it's got is just some shiny leaves. Some good looking leaves. No fruit, just leaves. And it says, Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. And so last week what we did is we focused on like what is the deal here? Is this just angry Jesus? It's just like the Snicker commercial, you know, where you don't need a Snickers, you know, where people are like arguing and doing the thing and they change to somebody else and they're like, well, you get grumpy, you know, when you're hungry. And they have a bite of Snickers and they go back to their, like, is this that? You know, what's the deal with Jesus? Like, this seems extreme. So last week we talked about why Jesus would react like this and what it really means to bear fruit. And what are we even talking about when we say fruit? And how can I know if I'm even bearing that? So we talked about that stuff last week. So this week we get into the response. Verse 20. It says, And the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly? So they're amazed that this thing just died right in front of them. There was no decay process of any kind, just died. Jesus replied, and here's where we settle in. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you could say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, everybody say believe. believe. You will receive, everybody say receive. receive. Whatever you ask for in prayer. It says if you have faith, don't doubt. Not only can you do this, what I did to the fig tree, but you could say to the mountain, go jump in the sea, I guess it goes swimming. He says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So my immediate response is, really? Is that really the case? I think Jesus' heart here in the middle of this thing right here, why would he say a phrase like that? Whatever you ask for in prayer, if you believe, you will receive. Right? We got a few things going on here. We got faith going on. We got doubt going on. And we got prayer going on. Got these three things going on. And somehow they're related. Somehow they, it all matters how they fit together. In the heart, I think it starts right at the very beginning here. This message right here, number one, we need to know, we can't miss, we can't miss, we can't miss, is that this, whatever you ask for in prayer, you will receive. He was talking to disciples. So we can't lose that. People who call themselves disciples. People who say, you know what? Jesus, He's the Lord of my life. I've professed my life to Him. I've received what He has done. I follow Him. Not perfectly, but I am trying my darndest to follow Him and put Him at the center of my life. I'm a Christ follower. If that's the case, then we start talking about this passage. If that's not the case, 
Well, then maybe it can get confusing to other people. And maybe prayer can seem like empty words because what happens when a bunch of people who think they're disciples and they're not, and they start praying and asking God for things and nothing happens? That could be confusing. I could see where that could come from. See, the mindset that Jesus wanted to get into their heads, they're amazed that it happened. Jesus said, don't be so impressed. Like, pretty soon you could be doing this stuff and this actually will be happening. Jesus wanted them to know that they serve a God who is more than capable and who is inexhaustible. That's a boom right there. He wanted them to know that they serve a God who is more than, say more than. This is like the big thing right here. More than capable and completely inexhaustible. Let it settle in. Do I really believe it is the question. Because he's trying to get them to believe that. They they didn't quite get that yet. He's trying to get us to believe. If we actually believe that, our prayers get radical. Our faith gets radical. If it's really true that this God is more than capable and he is inexhaustible in any way, no matter what it is, why is any prayer crazy? It would just only be crazy if it wasn't like part of God's will for me to pray it. Other than that, sky's the limit. What does it matter? I don't care how silly it sounds. If it feels like it's an urge from God to pray it, then man, we just pray that thing. And we keep going until he says no. And I think it's so important because I think good prayer starts there. However we settle with ourselves on that, that God is more than capable and inexhaustible. Wherever we are on that, that's going to affect how we're going to pray and how we're going to approach God and how we'll talk to Him. Satan knows that. So I wrote down a couple of reasons why I think people like, don't really pray or their prayers aren't really that powerful. Or it's goofy when they do it. So I wrote down a few reasons. Number one, some people don't pray or most people don't pray because they don't really believe it's going to do anything. I mean really believe. Like if I really prayed, for such and such in my family, or my neighbor down the street, or for my grandkids, or for whoever, do I really think it's going to matter? And depending upon who you're talking about, right, that could be very hard to believe, considering where they're at, depending upon our faith, right? So this faith and doubt, like this all matters. I know, that, uh, I know that my pastor was a product of prayer. He was like a high school, 8th grade dropout, super t- you know, troublemaker. He's still pretty dysfunctional. And it's okay if he hears this. He's going online. So it's like he can laugh if he sees it. Here's this. But it's just, he's just kind of a goofy guy. But he was in trouble, doing stupid things. I mean, he went all over the country hitchhiking. He's just... Drugs just out of his mind. I mean, this guy. There is a group that would pray just for him, a group of people that just felt led to pray for this guy. This guy now has had a church for 30 years in Connecticut. Pretty good-sized church. I have a radio station. I mean, in that whole area of the state there. It's amazing. People are just praying for this kid. Who knows what could happen? So don't really believe. Most of us don't pray because I don't think you're going to do anything. Might not pray because God maybe won't use my prayer. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe my prayers don't sound right. 
Maybe they don't have the right words to them. It's a lie Satan wants us to believe. Some people might not pray because their view of God and what He wants to do is limited. Like maybe He just doesn't really want to do this thing that I'm praying for. One last reason people might not pray is because maybe they're scared of what might happen. God actually came through. Or maybe they're scared if He did not come through, then what? Am I still going to believe Him? Would I even still believe Him? If I invested myself in a lot of prayer time that was tough and a struggle and I couldn't see with my eyes something happened right before with some kind of immediate gratification of some kind. See, some prayers for powerful and effective. Others do not. So the question is, what makes a powerful prayer? We're talking about that, right? So James 5, it's right up on the screen. Here's what makes powerful prayer. Right here. James 5, 16 through 18. And it says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It says the effective, everybody say effective. Fervent, say fervent. Prayer of a righteous. Say righteous. Righteous man avails much. Effective, fervent of a righteous Man or woman avails much. That's the one that matters. We need some righteous. Then it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So, the part that we need to know is that righteousness, got to follow me here, righteousness, that's important, right? That's, the, that's pretty important. So righteousness is based more on what we believe and, and really less on what we do. And you might fight back with me initially on that, but just follow me for a second. It's based more on what we believe and less really on what we do. Assumption being that what I believe, I'm also actually doing. So like if I'm... Let's say a Jesus Christ professing Christian, I'm not reading the Quran before I go to bed at night, like for my wisdom of my life. Right? So, we might get that twisted to think that, man, only what I do makes me righteous. Well, hopefully we're doing based on what we believe, but sometimes our actions take a little bit to catch up to what we believe. Now check this out, right? In Romans 4.22, I think we have that one there. This is big time. Talking about Abraham. It says, he did not waver. Abraham, father of the Hebrew nation, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. It's very important. He didn't waver. For the most part, he was on board with what God said. But he was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Why? Because he picked up his family and he moved or... No, it's because he, what? Did not waver through his unbelief and his promise to God. He believed. That's what was credited to him as righteousness. This is huge. So if we believe in Jesus Christ, that he went to the cross 
for me and paid for my sins. And I'm saying I agree with that and I commit my life to that righteous. Big equal sign, that means righteous. When we make that step, we are righteous by that belief. Now, man, I hope our lives follow up with some actions that you know, reflect that. As far as righteousness is concerned, that belief makes us righteous. So you might not feel all that righteous, and you might be a work in progress. Hey, join the club. We all are. Ask Julie. She'll tell you about my work in progress. It's a fact of the matter, right? We all are. Like, we got funky stuff we got to work out. Yeah, everybody, right? We are just this work. So now if you're righteous, and I'm righteous, apparently there's some power involved. And just to get this righteousness you know, idea a little even more straightforward in 2 Corinthians, there's a verse that Paul said, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. That's the gospel. Jesus had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In him. Not in Jared or in whoever. In him. Because of that price paid. I'll tell you what. I don't know about you. But that is very freeing to know. That all of a sudden we approach his throne. As long as we're Christians. We approach his throne in righteousness. And there is automatically power attached to that. Just because he said so. Not depending upon if I had a good week or a bad week reading my Bible. Not depending upon I had a losing week in sin this past week. Hopefully that leads to some kind of repentance and some confession somewhere. But that in and of itself, that's a battle going on. It's just a big problem if I just quit the battle and I tell people I'm still in the fight. That's the problem. But if we're still in that battle, Righteousness is there, and it's still powerful. Why would God do that? I don't know. It doesn't make much sense to me. I wouldn't use me. I know what I'm capable of. <sighs> doesn't seem for too smart. That's the way He does it. His grace is amazing. So, illustration that we get that James gives to paint this picture of what powerful prayer looks like and how we could see it well. What kind of words are used? Who's doing it? What does the posture look like? He used this guy Elijah. That's who he uses. That's, that's what was in there, right? This guy Elijah. And it said that Elijah, he prayed prayers, you know, that were fervent and they were, do you remember? Effective, right? Question is how, why, what happened? Super brief synopsis. Elijah, this is the same guy who called by God. <laughs> he went, let me, back, let me just backdrop even more. Elijah, this guy goes up to the king of Israel and he goes to the king on 1 Kings 17. And you can read it later. I don't know if I have the slide. Do I have the slide? Oh, I do. So it says, now Elijah the Tishbite. I don't know what a Tishbite is. I don't know if it's like a mosquito bite or what. But the Tishbite came from Tishbite and Gilead, right? It said to Ahab, said to the uh, 
ruling king at that time, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So he comes up to the king. He says, hey, listen, it's not going to rain or dew or anything at all for a few years at my word. Where is he getting this audacity to come up to this guy and say this? Where is that coming from? What is that all about? It's crazy. If we go back, can we bring the James passage back up there? It says that, in the James passage, it says that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed, was that word, earnestly, that it would not rain. That's not in the first Kings passage. That wasn't up there. That's not in the first Kings. It doesn't say that. That happened behind the scenes. And what he was praying behind the scenes, catch this, right? He was praying the Word. What God had already said. What am I talking about? In Deuteronomy 11, verses 16 through 17. I think I have the slide. Yeah. It says, Be careful, or you'll be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you. He will shut up the heavens, so it will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and you will soon perish. He knew the word. He stayed in the word. He prayed the word. God spoke to him through that word. And then he brought that before the king. That's big time. That's part one of what made his prayer powerful. It's because it was rooted in the word. Like he knew what God said. It's very encouraging to like go other places and like go other churches or you want to go overseas and see other churches. And, you know, they might not have the technology. They all show up with their Bibles. And they're taking notes. And they're doing stuff. And they're writing it down. And they come and they're like, God's got something to say to me this morning through the Word. That's their expectation. You see how important, like, that Word is? Because when we know this thing, we can pray effectively. Ask how come Elijah could come with such boldness before him. Well, God's Word said it. That's big. It's very difficult to pray when we have no idea what God has said in the past. Or it might be foggy. We want to know that thing. We want to know it. When the big scene showed up, there was like 400 false prophets, 400 plus. And three years had passed. No rain happened. Because he told them, he said, no rain's going to happen. After a few years, God said, okay, I'm going to make some rain show up. And uh, you're going to do something. And Elijah's like, all right, let's go do this. So they do a big show off, like a God show off, you know. So they do a big God show off, all the false prophets show up, you know, they got this altar and they say, okay, um, Elijah says, you know what, you go first, you bring some rain, get your gods riled up, let's do this thing. And so they just start crying out, Baal was their God, Baal, Baal, whatever they're doing. And it says that they're falling on the floor. They're crying out. They start cutting themselves. They're just going crazy. Rain some rain. Da, da, da. Elijah. I don't know if you can relate. I can relate a little bit. B- button pusher. It's kind of fun to push buttons. He's pushing buttons. Yell louder. Try harder. Maybe he's busy. Maybe he's not listening. One version. Maybe he's on the toilet. The language meaning that. So, 
all that happens. And they go through this long, these long prayers, very long-winded, all this stuff, you know. So then Elijah shows up. And basically he says, God, show these people today that the God of this nation is real and then we need to follow Him and worship Him. It's a very short prayer. It's two verses. That's it. Nothing long about it. And he had that altar drenched with water and stuff, you know, just to throw on this effect of fire and doing all this stuff. And then boom, God just showed up and just one, it was just unbelievable. And then what happens is Elijah says, see, you know, God is real. And he says, you know, take all those prophets and he actually has them killed, believe it or not, because he knows they're false prophets. God told him to have them killed, which is different day and age. And then, after all that, he gets his life threatened with uh, Ahab's wife and he runs away and he hides in a cave. You know, like he's a guy just like us. Like he was on a mountaintop like, God, yes! And a huge victory in his life. And the guy goes runs and hides in a cave. <laughs> it's like us, man. It's just like us. And then when it was time for rain, he prayed differently. When it was time for those rain clouds to come, instead of like that short prayer he did for fire to come on the altar, what he did is it says in the Word that he came and that he bowed down and he had his head between his knees. You go read it this week. Check it out. First Kings 17 and 18. When he was praying for the rain cloud to come, his posture is totally different. Now he's got his head between his knees. Like when a woman's giving birth... Julie would be yelling pretty soon, you know, in a month, you know, just, ah, you know, pushing him out, round two of this thing. So, that's what he's doing when he's praying. Very different than the last time. Here's where the fervency comes in. Sometimes it happens like that. And so he's praying like that, and he tells his messenger, he goes, hey, any rain clouds coming? First time, no. Second time, no. Third time, no. By the seventh time, comes back, he says, wait, I see one. It's like the size of a man's hand. He's like, oh, we got to go. It's going to start raining. So he tucks in his cloak, man, and he runs all the way. It's unbelievable. The guy's life is unbelievable. He's the model, the illustration that James used for prayer. He's a guy that's up, that he's down, but he knew the Word. And he knew how to stay close with the Lord. It's huge. That's what made his prayers powerful and effective. He could pray the Word, and he knew when he had to pray short, and a new man when he had to just dig in and pray hard with God. I'm going to close with this story. 156 years ago, math people, probably none here. Do you know what year that was? Put the pressure on Sal. Yeah, what's that? What's that? Yep. 1857. There it is. At least he's right there, right? So, 156 years ago in New York City, okay, 156 years ago, jobs being lost, plants shut down, 30,000 plus out of work. I mean, this is 1800. That's a lot of people. Got to figure what, maybe a million people in the city at that time? Maybe. On July 1st, you get this quiet business guy, Jeremiah Lanfear. Got his picture? I think I have his picture. He looks unhappy, but he's probably happier than that. Jeremiah Lanfear. He was appointed, so his job 
was to go grow the North Church of the Dutch Reformed denomination. That's a mouthful. That's what he had to do. He had to go grow the church because things were so bad. People were getting out of the city. Nobody was going to church, which is kind of interesting because life is getting more tough. But, you know, you can see a lot when life gets tough with people. People were leaving. And, in fact, they were actually changing the um, structure of the city to where they were building uh, more houses on the outskirts of the city. So people were, like, moving away. So there was less in the city where he was. So his job that he volunteered to do was go recruit and go grow the church. Like, let's bring people in because nobody's showing up. He didn't get paid for it. He volunteered for it. So it says, He was so burdened with prayer that he asked people to join him Wednesday at noontime for prayer. And what he did is he passed out these bills. And here's what it said. So here's what he passed out to people. Try and get them to show up to these Wednesday, you know, prayer times. He's just a business guy. He's not a church guy. It says, As often as the language of prayer is in my heart, as often as I see my need of help, as often as I feel the power of temptation... As often as I am made sensible of any spiritual declension or feel the aggression of a worldly spirit, I must pray. It says, In prayer we leave the business of time for that of eternity and intercourse with men for intercourse with God. A day prayer meeting is held every Wednesday from noon to one o'clock in the consistatory building in the rear of the North Dutch Church. This meeting is intended to give merchants, mechanics, clerks, strangers, and businessmen generally an opportunity to stop and call upon God amid the perplexities incident to their respective avocations. It will continue for one hour, but it's also designed for those who may find it inconvenient to remain more than five or ten minutes, as well as for those who can spare the whole hour. So that's what he passed out to invite people. And he laid it all out there. He said, hey, listen, this is what we're doing. Jump on board. So what happens at the first meeting, right? First prayer meeting. Nobody, nobody really shows up. In fact, the first person to show up is a half hour late. Must be on valley time. Half hour late. And it was only it was six people. He went through like he pa- I forget the number of how many passed out, but it was like hundreds of pamphlets that he passed out. Got six people to show up. After six months, they ended up changing the day because some more people started coming. So they didn't just do Wednesdays; they started doing it every day. After six months, ten thousand people. Ten thousand. And this is a true story. You can go Google this later. Look it up. Whatever you want to do. 10,000 people. And 10,000 businessmen, I want to make sure I point out too. 10,000 businessmen giving up their lunch and going to go do this. So within two years, American converts were added to American churches. Two million, sorry. Two million converts added to American churches. This is the greatest revival in New York City history. And it's true. No hysteria, no fanaticism, just a movement to, to, to pray. Just come before God. Just desperate wanting to come before Him. The greatest revival ever in New York City, 1857-56, when it happened. From a business guy who's like, man, we've got to get before God. That was it. I love that story. 
Because he took desperate and willing hearts. That's what we love about God. Because sometimes you might think that has to be long, you know, and have this appearance and do all these things. That's what Jesus gave people a hard time for. Vain repetitions and really long prayers. Sometimes God will lead us to pray longer. But I've been in prayer meetings with people where it's like, this guy needs to stop. This is just going on and on. And it's like awkward. You can tell it's awkward. They're searching for words, you know. and It's, it's not flowing comfortably. Like God is really leading them. And in some prayer meetings I've been in, where the most one we had here not too long ago, maybe last year, the most powerful prayer I think in that meeting was somebody just crying out, "God help!" It's powerful. It took her so much to well that up and do that. It's a powerful prayer. So, what makes prayer powerful? At the end of the day, God does. But if we know how to pray His word and we know how to dig in and stay fervent when we have to. That helps out tremendously. And you know what? At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what the righteous prays as long as the righteous are praying. If the righteous are praying, it is powerful. And God's will will be done. It might not even be exactly what we're praying, but he'll bring it and twist it to where he needs it to go. So what we're going to do is um, we're going to do the last song. We're going to do communion. TJ and Jenna are going to come up and they will, uh, they're will they going to pass out the elements. Um, during this time, I would just spend it, you know, praying and talking with God. And I would say, you know, I would not um, take the elements if, uh, if you just can't say God is the Lord of my life in all aspects, in all regards, over my money, over my emotions. Thank you. I wouldn't take it because you don't want to.